Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. In today's episode, I want to talk to you about the importance of seeking help. If you are struggling with something, if you're feeling suicidal, if you're feeling depressed or anxious, or that something is just not quite right in your world, seek help. I can't stress the importance of this enough. I know from personal experience, there's a few things that are holding you back. You want to be able to handle it on your own. You want to be tough. You want to be strong. You want to push through yourself. That's fine. But how is that working for you? For me, for years, I was struggling. And for years, I kept trying to go it alone. However, after a while, I realized that I just wasn't coping. I was drinking a lot. I was self-harming. I was losing functionality. I wasn't enjoying life. I was withdrawing. And there wasn't any real cause, but I just sort of realized that despite my desire or will or want to be able to be strong enough to handle this on my own, I just wasn't. And if you're in a place that's not growing well, maybe you're not either, but that's okay. Not many people are in fact strong enough to handle it on their own. It's easy to look at other people and look at how strong they seem and to be deceived by what you see. We only see what people want to show us. We only see what we get to see in those brief instances that we see them in person or through social media. Rarely does someone show their their weaknesses to the world. Rarely does anyone feel comfortable doing that. But you know this from firsthand experience, when you delve deep enough into someone's life, they're struggling too. They might not be struggling in the same way you are, but where you're succeeding, they might be failing and vice versa. So with that in mind, realize that it's okay to be struggling. It's in fact quite normal. Realize that until until you get to know someone deeply, you might not realize that they too have anxieties and worries and depressions and fears and a whole plethora of other stuff that you're just not quite aware of. I, I train martial arts every night. Not every night, most nights. And when I'm there, I'm there to train. So I try and generally, if possible, put my, my mental state aside. I'm there to work out. I'm there to get better at martial arts. And I want to, you know, be there in that moment and do that thing. It's, it's something that I love doing. However, to someone that's looking at me, they might think that I don't have any issues because I'm not letting that into my training. So if someone only knows me, you know, doesn't know what I do online, doesn't know my podcast, doesn't know anything that I talk about, doesn't know my book, doesn't know that I make a sort of it my habit to share my story, if they only oversee me at training, they might have a different view of my mental state. I'm always training, I'm always there, and I'm, you know, keep turning up. That doesn't, that image is not congruent with someone that struggles with mental health concerns or that has gone through trauma in their past. Now, if, if someone comes to me and talks to me about it, I'm more than happy to open up and talk. But until that happens, people that only see me in that context might think differently of me than I actually am. 
Same thing when I'm working as a teacher. I, I have to present confidence and come across in a particular way until I'm comfortable opening up. Because if I don't, you can't run a class that way. You can't be or present certain deficiencies in your mental state and expect a class to run smoothly. You have to basically fake it till you make it. And I know that this is the case at most workplaces. So what happens is, is that whenever you speak to someone, they're most likely, particularly unless you know them deeply, going to present to you their strongest front because their job, their role, or the situation demands it. And even if the situation doesn't demand it or the role doesn't demand it and they can open up, they may not because there is a stigma to opening up. And it's one of the reasons why you don't feel comfortable opening up yourself with your own issues because you're afraid, because you'll, you don't, you'll think you'll be judged. And, you know, you're right. There is a stigma that will, that is out there. People do judge people for mental health concerns. It does happen. Since I've started sharing the story of my past and all that sort of stuff, I've had a bunch of people, well, I've had two reactions. People are either more accepting or they're less accepting. The people that are more accepting are grateful that I'm showing the world the vulnerable state that they themselves are feeling, that they want to share and talk about as well. And a lot of people have started sharing their stories either to me directly or through the Share Your Story blog that I've set up or just in their own lives. On the other side of things, however, I've had numerous family members criticize me for what I'm doing because they think it's a bit revealing or they, they're embarrassed to be associated with someone that has mental health concerns or they don't want to admit that sexual trauma has happened in their family. That's okay. I expected that. But from from people in my life, from random strangers and from family, there has been, not everyone, but there's you know the positive and the negative side of things that have come about. That sucks. However, I know myself well enough now and I know that it will help enough people that it's vital to keep talking about it, which is part of the reason why I'm sharing this podcast and part of the reason why you're listening to the podcast is because the more we share, the more we talk, the more people will know that it's okay to share and okay to talk. But I want to bring it back to having the ability to open up and admit that you need help, admit that you need some sort of support. Like I said, for me, it took a long time to acknowledge that I needed support, but the worse I got, the more the the less functional I got, the the more I withdrew from friends and family and all that sort of stuff. It finally just clicked that I needed some support. And I I having I was actually studying psychology at university just as an undergraduate. So I'm not a psychologist, but I've you know studied a little bit of it. So I was aware of counseling and psychology as an option. And I decided to go down that path. The first thing I went to was a psychiatrist. Now, a psychiatrist is a doctor that also has studied the brain and mental health. What I found was, though, that they typically wanted to prescribe me antidepressants straight away without giving me any sort of talking-based therapy. And Given the state that I was in and how bad and depressed and suicidal I was, I took the medicine and just went along with it. This was good and bad. I 
I found that the medicine helped keep me alive, but it made the the world seem sort of dull or numb. You know, the, I didn't have the highs or the lows that I was previously exposed to or previously could have. So it meant that I wasn't as depressed and as suicidal as I was. In fact, it sort of, for lack of a better expression, took that away. I, I wasn't feeling much of anything. Just in the same way my lows were gone, the highs were also gone as well. It sort of made made my level of feeling sort of middle of the road. I wasn't couldn't feel that much happiness. I couldn't feel that much sadness. Food started tasting bland. I lost I lost my appetite. I lost my desire. I lost a lot of stuff, but I was still alive. After a while, when when I was finally calmed down to the fact that, you know, I wasn't suicidal anymore, I started to realize that, yeah, life had become quite dull. So I wanted to get off the medication. This obviously proposed a lot of risk. And I did the cliche stupid thing that a lot of people I found out since do is that they cut their medication cold turkey. This isn't an easy thing to do in that you suffer the withdrawal symptoms and it feels like you're getting sick for a few weeks there and you get cold shivers and it's just, it's not a fun experience. But I went through it. I cut the medication and decided to once again try on my own. And once again, the issues with my mental health came back. And this isn't surprising. You know, if you're only prescribed medicine and not given any ways to deal with that psychologically or practically in your life, once the medicine stops, you're back to where you started. In a lot of the cases. Some cases, the medicine does sort of trigger your brain to to fix itself. But for me and for a lot of people, unless you've got that coupled psychology side, the therapy side, the talking side, you don't get better. Or you slowly revert. And that, that was the case for me. So when I went and saw another therapist, I decided to see a psychologist. And I saw the psychologist that I wanted, I said to them, what I just told you about medication. And I said, I wanted psychology. I wanted a different way of thinking. I wanted strategies to help me. And it's taken me a while to find the right psychologist. If you think about it, psychologists are just people. These are people that have studied psychology, they've studied the brain, and they've got experience with helping people through mental illness and trauma. That's their expertise. But under all of that training, they're still people. So I think I've gone through maybe, I think I'm on my fourth psychologist now, and I really like my current one. She's helping me far more than any therapist that I've ever experienced in my life. But it took me a while. And, and, you know, being a teacher myself, a high school teacher, I'm well aware that some students love me. I'm like their favorite teacher, and some students hate me. I'm the same teacher to everyone. However, based on my personality and their personality, sometimes we get along and sometimes we don't. This is the same with any profession. You'll have some bosses you like and dislike, some people you like and dislike. It's the same with psychologists. So when I saw psychologists that I didn't really like, I quickly changed. I gave them a few chances to sort of, you know, get past that trust issue and all that sort of stuff. But I was very quickly able to determine if if they were going to be there for me. Some of them were better than others, and some of them helped me at some stages of my life, but when they stopped helping me, I decided to move on. And I consider this something that everyone should do. 
if you do start seeing a psychologist or a counselor and they're no longer helping you or they're not helping you at all, that doesn't disprove the benefit of psychology. It just suggests that you haven't found the right one for you yet. Just like when you're dating, you'll date a bunch of people until you find someone that best matches you. Now that I'm seeing a psychologist, she's helped give me a bunch of different strategies that have helped me personally deal with my history of sexual assault and constant anxiety levels and other issues that have 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 come about due to growing up with my father being an addict and a drug dealer. But like I'm saying, she might not be the best for people with other issues. The the real one of the real convincing reasons as to why you should speak out and seek help is because a trained therapist is trained to help people. It works. There's science, there's evidence, and you'll be able to speak to people like myself who have seen a psychologist, who've seen a therapist, and that it's worked for them. And because of that, it means it will work or can work for you. Once again, I understand the the instant reaction to go, well, I'm not like other people. It might work for other people, but I'm different. My problems are unique. Why would it work for me? Trust me, I feel that. No one has gone through what I've gone through. They've gone through similar things. They've gone through other traumatic stuff, but no one's lived my life except for me. So how could someone else possibly know what it's like to live my life? How could they possibly give me any advice that could possibly help? The thing is, they can. And the longer you speak to someone, the more they know your story, the more they'll get a grasp of what what will best what advice or what solutions will best suit you? Initially, they might try a few different approaches, but over time, you and the therapist will start to work out what suits you and your unique situation best. So for me personally, I found a lot of benefit from mindfulness meditation. So that's focusing on the present moment. And I've got some podcasts and blogs that I'll link to that share my my process. But I've found that mindfulness meditation is quite helpful. I've also found that for me personally, balancing emotion, like my emotionality and my logical side of my mind to be quite helpful. I'll I'll swing between being quite emotional and sort of too anxious and too all in in that sense and being quite logical and cold and calculating. So what my psychologist is helping me to do is to recognize when I'm in one of those extreme states and try and bring the other side in. So when I'm feeling or when I notice that I'm not feeling stuff, I'll try and bring emotions in. And when I notice that I am too emotional, I'll try and bring some logic in and try to balance myself in that regard. We've also discussed the importance of regular exercise and regular socialization and self-care and a bunch of other things that have specifically helped me. Now, I don't think that I would have come to the place that I'm in mentally without the support of a therapist. But I understand, and once again, I've been there, the the embarrassment of opening up to someone and sharing what you've gone through with them and how you're feeling is, is overwhelming. It can be, it's so embarrassing to share 
to a person that's talking back to you and right there listening to you, your deepest concerns and worries and anxieties. And, you know, if you've read my book, Under the Influence, you'll see the sort of stuff that I've gone through. I, I share the more embarrassing moments of my childhood. I share the concepts of what happened to me when, when I was sexually assaulted. I share what it was like living in constant fear of a home invasion from our drug-riddled neighbour. Now, it's actually, in a sense, easier to talk on a podcast or write it in a book than it is to talk in person, one-on-one -on -one with someone. I still struggle to bring the words out of my mouth, even though I can do them here. Why? Because it's confronting. Someone's right there and they're listening. But keep in mind, it's their job. You're paying them or you're, you know, they're getting paid at least if it's, if you've got some, some governmental subsidies to, to help you. And they've heard it all before. That being said, if, if it's too hard for you, if you struggle and you don't think you can do it, there's a, there's a few other little workarounds that you could try. Some of them, some things that I, some, some suggestions that I like to give to people that don't feel yet comfortable seeking the help of a therapist would be to use anonymous text-based services online. If you just do a Google search of text-based counseling or anonymous online counseling, there'll be a bunch of resources that pop up for you. And basically you'll make sure it's you know legitimate, look up the resources, but most likely you'll find one that has qualified therapists on the other end and you can talk to them via text. So they're not hearing your voice, you can structure your responses and it's anonymous. This is a great resource or a great bridging to regular therapy because you've got someone there listening on the other end, but it's anonymous so they don't know you, you don't know them, and it's text-based so you don't have to deal with the emotionality of actually saying the words out loud. That's one solution. The other solution that I found particularly helpful myself was writing therapy. I would get a blank piece of paper and just write whatever thoughts came to my mind. And putting it down on the paper was like speaking to a therapist. It's, it's almost better in some ways because, you know, the page listens and it doesn't judge. You're not speaking to anyone out, anyone out loud. It just absorbs it all and you get it out. The act of talking, the act of confession, the act of letting go helps. Obviously, it doesn't come with the benefit of some solutions or potential ideas of how you can, you know, different strategies you can implement in your life. But it does come with the benefit that it's completely anonymous and that you can burn it and there can be no record of the conversation after the fact. So I like to use that myself even now, even that I have a therapist. I also want to highlight the importance of seeking help if you're a secondary person to someone else that has a mental health concern or that is suicidal. A lot of people reach out to me on social media, not just for themselves, but because they've got a family member, a brother, a sibling, a, a child, a parent, a friend who's suicidal or self-harming or someone that they're just worried about someone that's they're 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 seeing a change in behavior and they're not sure what to do even if you're not the one that's suffering yourself if you've got someone in your life that you're close to that you care about that's going through something you too should seek help yourself 
and seek help in two ways. The first way is practically. If you've got someone that's self-harming, you should speak to someone about help, how to help people that are self-harming. But also, you should speak to a therapist yourself to talk about the emotional impact upon your own life. And th- this, is, this is quite important because even though it might seem like you're not the one with a problem, you know, obviously you're trying to help someone with a problem, whenever you take on someone else's problems, they become yours and it starts impacting your life. That's just how things go. Once again, it's okay to admit that helping someone will cause you to struggle a little bit. It's to be expected. But one of the things I like to say is that you can only help someone if you're at 100%. So if the person's close enough to you that you want to help that person, that's great. Please do so. But also make sure that you're seeking help yourself. If you've got a therapist, talk to them about your current situation. Or if you don't, reach out and seek support. If if you've got a partner or a loved one that's got an addiction, you know, and they're not they're not willing to seek the help themselves, you should yourself should go and speak to the Alcoholics Anonymous or or some other sort of support group to help those people through and to help you because there'll be there'll be support available to the carers and to the loved ones out there. So thanks for listening guys. If if you've got an issue that you want to talk about, feel free to hit me up on social media at Zach P. Phillips or via my website at Zachary-Phillips.com. I'm not a professional psychologist or therapist, but I do have a lived experience with mental health problems and past trauma, as well as the recovery process. If you need a place to vent or to talk to or just to get ideas or just to share, I'm more than happy to listen. I also want to point you towards a couple of resources that you might find useful. On my website, I've got a Share Your Story project. And you'll see it when you click onto my website at Zachary-Phillips.com. Up the top, there's a little tab that's called Share Your Story. This is basically a blog series of reader contributions of people who have a lived experience in something that they might want to share. There's a bunch of different stories up there from mental health concerns, different, different issues with home life, different traumatic childhoods, different life experiences, sexuality injury, a bunch of stuff. People are sharing their stories because by doing so, it's helping other people to heal and to recover, as well as the act of writing itself is a form of therapy itself. So I strongly encourage you guys, head over to the website, check out the Share Your Story project and have a read. There's a bunch of really cool, really interesting and insightful and brave people sharing their stories for the world to see. If you've got a short story that you would like to share, have a look through, see what everyone else is doing. Check out the um, submission stuff there and consider submitting yourself because the act of writing will help and I guarantee you you'll be reaching an audience of people that are going through something similar to you or may have gone through it and would receive some solace and some help from reading about your story. The final thing I want to do is ask. I need your help. I want to grow what I'm doing here to be able to reach and help as much people as possible. So if you found some benefit from this podcast, recommend it to someone. Link them, tag it, share it privately, personally, tell them in person. Do what you can to help me out because the wider this grows, the more people it will help and the more people it helps, the better it will be for society. The more we can get people talking about mental health concerns, the less stigma there will be and the less, the less restriction people will feel to sharing their own stories and coming out and talking about their own problems. I know it's a a outlandish goal, but I really 
really want to help reduce the instances of self-harm and suicide. It's, it's such a massive problem. And the only way that I can see to do that is by talking and sharing and, and getting the word out there. And to do that, I need your help. So like I said, please link people, share it with them. And if not, just chuck me a review. Wherever you're listening to this, review me online. And I suppose that the final thing that you could do to help would be to either check out my books. My first one's out now, Under the Influence Reclaiming My Childhood. It's the story of my past. If you want to know more about my past, what I've gone through, how I dealt with it, and how I got to where I am now, that's the book to check out. It's up on my website and is available as an ebook, paperback, and audiobook through Amazon. I'm also about to release a second book called Upgrade. This is my first foray into fiction. It'll be a short sci-fi anthology series of 11 parts. The first part's up on, on my website. If you just go into my website, search Upgrade, you'll find it. And the final thing that I'm doing is I'm in the final stages of releasing my book, How to Get Your Shit Together. This is a massive one. It's 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 over 50 chapters long, over 100,000 words, and it's the self-help book that I wanted to exist when I was growing up. I'll let you know more about it, but I've got a unique release strategy for this book. I'm going to release everything I'm writing for free online. The reason I'm doing this is, one, because, well, the main reason is because I want it to be as easily accessible to as many people as possible, as easily shareable as possible. I don't like how a lot of the time with authors or with books, you have to pay the money before you get to see the product you're getting. You pay the money if the books are dud, you've wasted the money. I'm going to go the other approach. I'm literally just going to give it away for free. Chapter by chapter, once per month, so that if you can't afford it or if you're not sure yet, you can just check out what's online. That being said, if you want the book in a convenient fashion, if you want to help support what I'm doing here, you can choose to purchase the book. Once again, that'll be out hopefully, I say I want it soon, but the writing process takes a lot, lot, lot longer than it should be. So I'm in the final editing stages now and I'll keep you updated as it's coming along, but I can't wait to let to release this because it's going to help people, it's going to help you and it's going to help the world. And I'm, I'm so, so excited about it. The final thing that I want to to ask is if if you've got a if you've got a dollar to spare per month, head over to my Patreon at Zach P. Phillips, patreon.com slash Zach P. Phillips, and consider contributing one dollar per month to my Patreon. I'm only asking one dollar per month because it's such a small amount on your end. It's basically not noticeable, but on my end, it'll all add up and make a big difference. I want to be doing more podcasts. I want to be writing more. I want to be interacting with you guys more. I want to be answering questions. I want to be making this as big as possible. However, life happens and, you know, I need to pay the bills. I need to work. I need to do all this sort of stuff. And that's, I'm okay with that. But the more support I get from you guys, the the more I can dedicate to this sort of stuff. And I really want to dedicate as much as possible. The more support I get, the quicker I can release how to get shit together. The quicker I can write more stuff to help, the more podcasts I can do. So if if you want to, if you're willing, and you've got $1 per month to spare, head over to patreon.com slash Zach P. Phillips and consider donating. Thank you.